Hello, you're listening to Relatable Roles, an RPG actual play and review podcast. I'm your host, who's just here for a good time, Max Storwich, and as always, joined by my fellow Vibomancer, it's Claire Higginbottom. How are you doing today, Claire? Hello. I honestly thought you were going to just turn around and steal, and my co-host, who is committing to bits you cannot possibly comprehend, Claire Higginbottom. I'm not so going to steal like, your Other than like that, that mild disappointment, like I'm pretty good. <laughs> yep, yep. We're we're we've crossed the threshold of fifty episodes of this silly little podcast. So, you know, we're changing things up. We're doing things differently. We're not reviewing or doing an actual play this episode. We have a topic episode today. Something new and untrodden upon land in the relatable roles uh realm. See, guys, yeah. still got the alliteration. Yeah. We are taking a calculated risk, but boy am I bad at math. <laughs> I have an engineering degree that somewhat says otherwise. <laughs> I have two science degrees that should say otherwise, but pew, pew, pew. Yep. <laughs> Think yep. of how much smarter I'd be if I remembered how to do algebra instead of knowing the entire fast part to hook by Blue's Traveler. That's like, so I guess the, the world couldn't handle me if I was hot, funny, and brilliant. So I have to be a dumbass to balance out like the karmic equilibrium mm. of the world i mean like as your good friend i said that you are all of those things <laughs> but you know but not as brilliant as i could be in retrospect well, yeah anyways today on rateable roles we're gonna be talking about how to run an rpg as even though we make it sound kind of easy that's because i've been doing this dang old thing for like 14 years i feel like and uh you know, we're just going to hear give give some tips on how to play or how to run a role playing game, whether it's a new system or for new players, just sort of your crash course on being a GM, DM, or whatever term the game that you're playing uses for the person rolling dice and setting up hurdles to hurdle for your Trying players. To kill you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, some games are non-violent or killing averse, so you know, hurdles. 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 Yeah. Complications. Co- yes. With yeah. heavy air quotes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Audio podcast, but uh, I think people could detect the quotations. Yeah, it was absolutely positively dripping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, Claire, you uh, added some nice notes to this note document we prepared for today. I'm not just the face of the podcast. I can add notes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> a looker and a typer. I would have done well in 60 secretarial school. <laughs> yeah. How many words per minute can you type? I haven't tested it in a while, but it's probably pretty good. Okay, okay. But speaking of typing and such... <laughs> speaking you, of note-taking... To... Yeah. <laughs> what? What? You cued me up for quite the segue. I'm just absolutely blown away by you. Um, <laughs> you know, if you can type... 170 words per minute, that's fantastic, but there's nothing wrong with a good old paper and pencil, but the biggest (laughs) benefit to you and everyone else when you are playing role-playing games is just to take as many notes as possible. Uh, Not just even during your sessions, taking notes before your sessions. Um, I kind of threw myself in the deep end with the first Delta Green scenario I ran because, unfortunately, I was playing with people who played a lot of Delta Green (laughs) and took a lot of that low-hanging fruit. Um, But I played one where I had to keep track of a lot of time. Every time some time passed, I had to do a bunch of sneaky secret rolls and keep track of 
people's sneaky secret luck rolls and keep track of random NPCs who are getting sick in the background. And that's a lot of things to try and juggle where, you know, you're also trying to have a fun and engaging scenario for your players. Um, so before I even, you know, started the Discord call where everyone started playing, I had just pages and spreadsheets of, of notes. So I had myself set up where I got to check boxes every time someone did something. Um, I had a little time progression meter that I used to keep track of when things needed to happen. And if I did not have that, it would have made my first time running a Delta Green campaign an absolute nightmare. Um, if, like yeah. me, you do a lot of project management, you know about how horrible thinking about your dependencies are on your critical path. Um, you need to make sure you know which events only happened when they're triggered by something else and, and what those triggers are. Um, so it's just easier to set yourself up for success with your massive pile of notes. Yes, yes. Um, for Sense of the Sword of the Hand, man, blah, blah. I, I thought I was done saying that damn title. <laughs> Apparently not. For each session on that game, I had key points I wanted to uh, touch upon or goals to, or for you guys to cover on each session. You know, like, uh, you know, here are the important people in this town. Here are the events that happen on the road. You know, here are the um, cool things in this location. Uh, obviously, you can't really... you As much as you want to plan and take notes for some things, you really can't plan for everything. And... Um, you have to keep it, if if especially if it's your first time, which in retrospect, sick again probably was not a good scenario for a first time. Uh, but I still uh, did it. Yeah, you still did it, and it was a great time. Uh, it's our longest episode to date at four and a half hours. Uh, keep the game simple. There's nothing wrong with a straight up uh, dungeon crawl or um, locked room with a dead body inside a. Uh, septic system uh delta green scenario which we'll touch upon later um you know if, especially if you have uh first time players um you don't have to give them like the war and peace of you know role playing game scenarios so sometimes it's, it's you more... can do a bottle episode and it works yeah. really well do <laughs> yeah bottle yeah. episode yeah just try to keep it simple there's often tools or prompts in more like uh recently uh prepared scenarios on like how to handle some things um the the, the writing style of a lot of modern day things is really um not, not intuitive but uh logical logical and supportive of people who may be coming from this game coming to these games for the first time or just how to handle weird situations you know pre-gen scenarios exist for a reason I think you don't have to come up with your own masterpiece. Um, read through your pre-gens a couple times. Uh, you know, understand the flow of what needs to come up uh, to make sure your players don't have fun. Uh, you don't want players sitting around and kind of just like twiddling their thumbs of uh, uh, what to come next. You know, give them a couple. You know, uh, players love grabbing onto details and make sure that you know if there's a breadcrumb trail. They can be giant breadcrumbs. They can be loaves of bread. You know, it's rather rather be loaves of bread than microscopic breadcrumbs. You need to get out your um, stereoscope microscope to detect to progress the um, mystery. As yeah, it were. And, and you know, you don't your players and don't want to, and you as a as a 
GM, DM don't want to just be sitting there and having them just listen to you and watch you read off of a piece of paper. Um, that kind of ruins some of the immersion. Uh, and that's another benefit to like the pre-reading and, and the pre-session note-taking, because it's not only making sure that you're organized and you have all your thoughts in line before you jump in, but in that process of reading and taking notes and, and you know making whatever charts, maps, tables you need to do in advance, you're also like really deeply and inherently familiarizing yourself with the story you're trying to tell. Um, so that way you have a little bit more comfort to, to kind of riff or to just answer player questions, even if they're not completely spelled out in within the guidelines of the scenario, because you can have that comfort with, with the story you're trying to tell and you're familiar with it enough that you can draw reasonable conclusions. You're not trying to like flip through a bunch of sheets just to try and find a line of throwaway dialogue because you want to make sure it aligns with the story. Like at that point, you're probably familiar enough with the story that you can trust your instinct and and say what you you think is the most appropriate to say. Yep, yep. And if it's uh if it's a pre-gen scenario that you're running for your group, whether they're experienced or new players, uh try to find a uh actual play from either from our podcast or many of the other other actual play podcasts. Actual plays I think are fantastic as a learning tool both for the flow of a game to see where like the high points or the low points where you kind of have to like oh there was a weird transition between you know scene b and scene c how can i you know prepare for that or what things might need a little more explanation if it's not um entirely clear how the how the uh uh clues or how the story presents it uh as it were actual plays are also just the best way to learn about you know new systems that's how i have learned or at least heard of um most of the uh games we've played here um except for the ones we reviewed those a lot of those are just us reading the new stuff so yeah. you know it's a weird podcast ouroboros now <laughs> yeah and i think too you know pregens are are awesome and if you find a pregen that you find really, really fascinating or you're really into or you're really interested in, but it's you know, for a system that you're less familiar with, if you have a lot of playing experience with another system that maybe you're more comfortable in, you can always adapt stories. A lot of times coming up with the stories and coming up with the characters and kind of coming up with what that that end goal or, you know, main challenge you're trying to overcome complication like that can be some of the hardest parts when you're trying to to come up with something uh to to run and, and what story to tell so there's also a lot of opportunity to to adapt pre-gens or existing scenarios that you know you really like or you're really drawn to into a system you feel more comfortable in for maybe your first couple times playing something I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm gonna say "Sense of the Sleight of Hand" man, so Max doesn't have to play it. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you caught on in the multiple times we said it. But that's, you know, not that's an originally a Call of Cthulhu scenario, and Max adapted that to play in Morkborg because that's a pretty easy one to pick up, and it was an easily, relatively easily adaptable story into a system that was a little bit more in line with with what the story was trying to tell. And often in the core rulebook, 
the scenarios in the back are designed for first-time players and for first-time GMs. So our first Merkborg scenario was Rot Black Sludge. That's the literal dungeon crawl in the back of the book. It was fun. It was fine. There were skeletons playing violins on top of a weird pillar. It's cool. Wasn't so, the um, cyborg one we played the back of the book? It was. Well? Yes. Yes. The the the, the creepy uh, casino. Yeah, Lucky Flight Takedown was the name of that uh, scenario. And everyone we, we had for both of those games, the first Merkborg, first Cyborg, they were experienced RPG players. You know, they had they'd been around, some of them have designed their own games, and those scenarios were perfect for, you know, a crash course in, in those games. Yeah, and I think that brings it back to your kind of keep it simple rule of thumb, too, where, like, you don't, you shouldn't feel like you need to overcomplicate a scenario because you're playing with someone who's experienced or you're you know playing with someone who has played a bunch of, of RPGs before or someone that's already familiar with the system that you're using. Like you don't try and avoid the urge to 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 complicate it to make it a big deal for someone who's, you know, experienced in RPGs. Like as long as even if you're doing a simple scenario, as long as you're doing it in a fun and engaging way and you're telling the story in a way that kind of captures their attention um you can keep it it, simple can be very successful and very engaging it doesn't need to be overly complex just to try and prove a point yeah yeah even before we started doing the podcast when friend of the show colleen and logo designer of ours uh ran a DD game you know she asked me to sit in on that and it was a very straightforward kind of like dungeon crawl map exploration thing and it was it was fun i had a good time with that i played a dwarf who may or may not be based off squirrely dan from Letterkenny, so you know it was a good time and we all got matching hats out of it like literally we did all get matching, matching hats hat. out of it yep shout out yep. to Bodie mcboatface yeah take that libertarian boat owner <laughs> boat rental guy destroying public infrastructure so his boat business <laughs> flourishes those i think that's a pretty good just like general things that you can apply to any kind of game uh but let's now get into some more some system and style specific uh tips and tricks i guess you would say uh so obviously we do a lot of horror here on relatable roles and i think the number one tip for any sort of horror game is you always start as close to the spooky thing or event as possible whether you're running it at a con or around your table with your friends if you're there for just a one shot start them close to the creepy thing start them in the house house haunted by narothotep um start them cleaning out a uh apartment building of someone who's died you don't want the the party to kind of like wander about and um delay the uh scenario from actually starting because that can just kind of lead to things spiraling out of control so uh you know, I would say with horror, uh, pacing is the most uh, important aspect. Just about to say, um, I like to kind of just keep things a little tense throughout most of the game and ramp it up near the end. Um, have a couple weird events kind of peppered throughout, um, but that's like like all scenarios, um, especially investigative ones. There's gonna be a lot of just players roaming around and looking for clues. They may go off in directions that, uh, you know um you you weren't expecting so anytime that the party's been split up or uh someone's alone that's a, a good a good time to kind of ramp up the tension and uh move that story along 
Yeah, and I think, like you said, especially for horror, pacing is hugely important. Like, we've all seen bad horror movies where, like, the the sound cue of something spooky doesn't line up with the actual jump scare. Or, like, you get lulled into the false sense of security, but then there's really no payoff for it, and it kind of ruins the immersion and, and ruins all of that time and all of that effort you spent trying to build that tension up in the first place. Um, so, like, practicing your main story beats and and having, you know, not a down-to-the-second schedule of when things need to happen, but making sure, like, oh, if this person goes here, like, I need to do this to maintain the tension. If this person... Music from a darkened room, if this person's alone in the bathroom and someone else leaves, like, if they look in the bathtub, they're gonna see a spooky dead body. Like, I, and that needs to happen right away. It can't just be like this, oh, you left the room, but you didn't look in the bathtub, and by the way, there was a body there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Music from a darkened room is interesting, as every room in that house has very specific instructions of what happens It what happens in it based off of the stats of the people in there. So... Yeah. Uh, that's very nicely uh, laid out. That makes I think makes the game very easy to run, and like just like the haunted house from hell, uh, basically. <laughs> but you can beat it with bureaucracy. You can beat it with bureaucracy. <laughs> For now. For now, you can go back to listen to like what was that episode three? <laughs> yeah, that's one of our. One of <laughs> remind our yourself because it was still dicing and drinking when we did music from a darkened room. Yeah, yeah, with the, the with the other Robert. Mm-hmm. Not quite Council of Robs, but with one of the yeah. Roberts. So we we haven't done a lot of it so far. We're hoping to maybe change this in the future on Relabel Rolls. But for science fiction games, I think this is probably one of the hardest kind of games to run. Just because the setting is typically so vastly different than... Uh, what players would kind of expect you know fantasy kind of straightforward there's swords there's dragons there's elves there's orcs and it's or some flavor of that when you say fantasy people can kind of fill in the blanks you know chainmails and flails and all that um horror you know we do a lot of modern day horror pretty easy to kind of grok that you're you know you're part of the fbi investigating the actual x-files or whatever sci-fi so much of the pre- so much of the game i feel feel like it's based around the setting so it can be very overwhelming trying to uh immerse your players in the world they're in my main tip for this is only explain the parts that are relevant to the story you're trying to tell and i think even building off of that only explain the parts that are relevant to the story at that moment Like as someone who reads, yeah, because like, I read a ton of sci-fi books, and if the f- entire chap first chapter is just exposition, just like this is the system of science that happens in this universe, and this is how we travel in between planets, and this is the bad kind of alien, but they can't breathe this type of gas, which is like that it absolutely kills me, and I can't do it. But if I read a sci-fi book that like for the first page is like, I have. You know, it's just saying, like, this is how it is. This is who you are. This is what you're doing. I'm going to say a bunch of words that you're not going to know, but you'll get them from context clues as the story evolves. Like, that's way more engaging. But I feel like when you're the person telling the story, there's just, like, the huge desire and, like, the feel like you need to over-explain immediately. But I think it's, you know, fun to let people figure things out. Right. Right. Um, anyone who knows anybody who plays Warhammer 40,000 and has asked them to like, hey, please tell me about this, knows that uh, that's 
opening up a can of worms that there's not a big enough can to hold all those worms in as there just is so much in some of these sci-fi settings and Claire is gesturing trying to hold all these limes <laughs> that um, you don't need to explain all the concepts. We would like to one day do some eclipse phase here on relatable roles and that's an episode that's that's what game we'll do a review of first just because i would like to touch upon all the cool things in that game but i don't need to explain how i don't even know where to start explaining concepts for that game body switching uh infomorphs dimensional gates and all that that work in their very specific eclipse phasey way you don't need all of that for every scenario for what players have to understand yeah and you're gonna lose everyone in yeah, you're going to lose everyone in session one if you try and spend two hours just explaining the nuances of how a gate works. Just explain it if they have to come to a gate. At that point, it'll be later enough in the game that they'll also understand some of the larger hierarching rules of this sci-fi exactly. universe. Exactly. And I guess this is this also is a uh, a systemless tip for all games of all types. Start with your group of players together. Don't try to, you know, gather cats, as it were. They start in the tavern. They start in the briefing room. They are leaving their spaceship together as a as a people who already know each other. It's it's a good way of just throwing your players into the game. You can start telling the story you want to tell. You can have them, you know, maybe talk about before the game starts, like, like how do you guys know each other? But when you're actually getting down to playing, start with cohesion. It's just going to run smoother from there. I think, too, with, with any type, um, I mean, especially horror and sci-fi, um, but because those tend to be the le most removed from reality. But for anything you're doing, believe what you're saying as the GM. Um, like, you might be describing the goofiest motherfucker in the world or, like, some sort of gruesome cosmic horror mangled body, <laughs> um, like, 80s body horror movie scene in front of you. But if you're doing it with, like, a wink and a nod, like, haha, you guys found a dead body, isn't this, isn't this goofy? <laughs> that, that ruins a lot of the immersion and makes things feel really superficial. Like, if you're doing things with a straight face, if you're giving everything the appropriate amount of gravitas, it makes it feel real and you'll get a lot better player buy-in. Like, if, if you don't believe what you're saying, or if you, you know, think everything you're saying is, is just a joke or for funsies, your, your characters aren't going to believe it either. And then the way you can get people to be excited and have fun and play and want to interact with each other and want to solve problems is if they believe it's real. Right, right. You can you can kind of be a little humorous in response to players' questions. Yeah, but yeah, like, I'm not saying like, don't like be say, funny, you know, there's a problem but... like, oh, you, you you find a you know, a body laying face down in this room, there's gun there's, you know, shell casings all around and scenes of a struggle. And someone's like, well, is he dead? He's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely dead. You know, that's where you can kind of be a little cheeky about it. But, um, you know. Yeah. No, the re be able to, uh, you know, read the room as far as whether your players are just, you know, taking things seriously or if they're being a little loosey-goosey, silly-willy with it. And kind of just keep that in mind for how you're trying to uh, tell your story. Yeah, you want your players to believe that there are stakes like obviously you are playing a role-playing game like it is a game they are all portraying characters at the end of the day like it isn't real obviously so it sounds sounds silly to be like make sure you believe it's real but you need to give it its due diligence for your players to actually believe that there are stakes because if they don't believe that the stakes matter then 
they're not going to be fully engaged. Just to be like, ah, I, I, sh- I shoot it. What the fuck? Like, I'm mm-hmm. done with this room. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> make, make the stakes feel like they yeah. have weight. And I think one of the easiest ways or best ways to do that is use a lot of descriptors for the scenes. What they see, what they smell. The more you can build out a scene without being too ridiculous about it, I think the more invested yeah. players will be in. Especially if they're first timers who may not have you know much experience with that. The more the more immersion you can provide for players, generally you're gonna have a, a more successful time on both sides of the uh, screen. But speaking yeah. of players, use pre-gen characters when they are available, uh, especially if you have newer players or system that people may not be. Uh, overly familiar with. They're great to use. Uh, often scenarios have pregens that go along with a given scenario, just so that that stats are properly, you know, allocated. You know, someone has computer science if there's computers to crack or whatever. Someone knows Latin if there's a book they have to translate. Sick again. It all takes place in a hospital. All the pregens were like doctors or disease specialists or containment specialists. So if I would have just like not given you guys any background on what the campaign was. And he's like, oh, make some characters. None of you would have showed up being doctors. What's an FBI agent going to do about that? A lot of games now have uh, online generators, which is very handy, very great. Um, if uh, if reading through the, the uh, adventure, if it's not really something skill-focused, if it's more of like a dungeon crawl, then I think those are fine. Uh, you can get some fun little... Uh, results from that just based off the randomness of some of those roles but you know but yeah pregens they are extremely useful uh if you have first time players just go through the sheet with them a lot of them are pretty easy uh or uh, intuitively laid out these days oh well they always should have been but definitely better nowadays than in yes. the past <laughs> yeah and i think too like it's easy to want to like turn your nose up at a pregen like oh i don't want to do a pregen i want to create my own character but you're still doing a lot of that creative control, even with a pregen. You still have a lot of freedom there. Like, really, it's just making sure your stats are calculated correctly and that they're balanced appropriately. Like, you can still give your character a, you know, dark and mysterious backstory. You could make them a crazy cat lady. You can still do whatever with the pregen. It's just there so that the stats are already done for you. And you're not going to struggle completing a campaign because you already have the right type of character, but you can still give it as much personality, much or as little. Yeah, as I typically, uh, when I give people pre-generated characters, I'll, I, you know, mechanically everything checks out, but I leave a lot of the physical descriptors, the name of their bonds, their motivations, the more, you know, where they went to school, like those things blank so that people can kind of style it to themselves. But I think... One of the things that I had to realize over, and I didn't realize this for a while, is not to pull your punches when or when running something for a first time or playing with people for the first time. I ran Convergence this past Gen Con for a group of uh, of our friends. Most of them had not played an A role playing game before. I don't think any of them had played Delta Green. And from those of you who have listened to Convergence way back, again like dicing and drinking days, like. That is a very, very lethal scenario. It's more likely that players will die uh, playing it. And part of me was like, well, is that a little too intense? But I'm like, no, this is the original Delta Green scenario. I want to throw players in the deep end, as it were, and just this is how the game is meant to be played or cause it to be such a big phenomenon 30 years ago, almost. 
if it's if someone's going to die early on, okay, maybe you know, uh, make sure that they are you know are around for most of the story or have their deaths be somewhat memorable. But always give a player's time to patch up. But death happens in stories. If it is a memorable uh, occurrence, it's something that players will be talking about for years to come. Yes, I mean Robert still talks about convergence all the time. Like, remember when I died because we lit that a car That also happened in uh, yeah. <laughs> my game of Convergence as they ran a car into that building. It's something about you, Max. Yep, either my player character that I play has died via car, or the players in my games do something dangerous via car. Yeah, and I think, too, like, I agree, don't don't pull your punches. But I think there's the other side of that coin is, is know when to be adaptable. <laughs> um, so I, I ran... Um, last things last for for Robert and and Colleen, and it was just the two of them playing. Um, and when they finally got to the end and needed to fight the the not wife, um, who who can really pack a hell of a punch, and who also regens HP in between each round of combat, um, they were starting to struggle at first just to get like the rhythm of combat just together and with just two people against. Not a horribly strong enemy, yeah. but like a strong enough enemy that two people can struggle against it. Like the not wife is supposed to basically fuck off into the woods if you don't kill her after three rounds and goes off and, you know, ruins the world in other ways. But I also knew like, while I didn't want to pull punches, I also didn't want combat to be over in approximately 45 seconds. So I relaxed that rule a little bit and just made her do a little bit more damage before I had her like run off into the ether so that they still had the experience of having that mm-hmm. combat scenario. So I wasn't trying to handle them with kid gloves or make it easy on them, but I also wanted to make it achievable based on the parameters that we had just running it for right, two people. Right, yeah. And and knowing how to be flexible like that is a is something that I think you pick up from either playing in games or running them yourself. Or yeah, running them yourselves. Yeah. Like that's just practice and experience, yep. unfortunately. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, how did how did that scenario overall go? Other than the, uh, the the combat, as it were, it was it was very fun. Colleen really enjoyed it, which I was very glad. She was very heartbroken when I had to explain that her bond could not be a cat. Um, but <laughs> other other than that, um, everyone had a good time. We did a lot of good research. They they got the the vibe of it pretty pretty quickly, which was which was lovely. And Colleen definitely wants to play a Delta Green game again. I think that's the best possible outcome for showing someone a new system for the first time is that they actually want to play again. Yeah, Game of Convergence I ran just like at, at a like open gaming room at a hotel at uh, Gen Con was definitely like the highlight for everyone who played and that's the people we were with who were just like in earshot, like hearing what was happening. Memorable for them for, for everything that uh, was transpiring. From the very get-go, one of the players with a very low charisma score tried to flirt with the waitress, fumbled the charisma roll, which then alerted the police to the player's presence because they like fucked off and left and they saw her like she was on the phone, like as she was, as they were leaving. So that, you know, put the cops on their tail and that was kind of, you know, built some tension for that scenario. So that's really bad at flirting. When you're a uh, stone cold killer with a murderous glare and you fumble that charisma check, doesn't go well. Yeah. Did anyone lose their entire GI tract? No, no, it, uh, or I can't, I can't recall. I think, I think so. I think someone did lose it, but the scenario did culminate at, at, at the town hall. 
the same town hall meeting ours dramatically ended. Yeah, there was a lot of attempts to like knock over bookshelves which failed like failed strength checks of just not being able to knock them over someone being firemen carried out of the uh room after getting thwacked with a, a pseudopod and then dying from the explosion that happened afterwards so a wonderful <laughs> horrible time was had by all and people were still talking about it days later so that's all you can ask for i'm still just like because that was still one of the really early delta green games i played and i'm still i hate to toot my own horn so much but just telling everyone not to drink the water eat the food felt very powerful except the people i was playing with immediately screwed that over by eating donuts at the police station and then i yelled at them but if i wouldn't have lost my gi tract i would have been fine because i didn't eat anything or drink anything yeah the first thing they did when they got into town was go to a diner and i'm like gotcha <laughs> Now you're dead, so yep. Yep. Have fun. But they still they still had a good time. Yeah. It's hard to come out of that one alive. Even like even for experienced DG mm -hmm. people. Because there's so many ways. There's like one way to win, but so many infinite ways yeah. to fuck up. Yeah. And I think just like the, the, the structure of that, the structure of that game is what makes people enjoy it, either to play in it or to run it, just to see like, all right, what's gonna happen this time? But I think that's about it for this episode. We hope you guys listening or gals listening or thems listening have gotten some good uh, use out of these tips or tricks or little discussions we've been having here. If there's anything else that you want to know about running games, please let us know or uh, tell us your stories about first time experiences with players or as people running games. So we'd, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Claire, anything else you want to tell? And also don't. Yeah, I was gonna say like don't don't expect your first one to be perfect. Like it's play with friends if, for the first one you run if you can because something's gonna go wrong even if you are like me and anally pre-plan anything and have multiple different flow charts based on how someone might react to you saying something like something's gonna go wrong like you're gonna mess something up but like just roll with it. It doesn't need to be a train screeches off the tracks moment like trust trust your instincts trust that you can tell a story and you can just give someone a fun interaction like if you accidentally take the wrong hit points away from someone but like can play it off or can adjust for it or if you like miss telling them something important like you can come up with a natural way for it to like be brought up again in the story later like it's not the end of the world if you miss something or make a mistake you can always play off of it and just adjust and you know keep it going it doesn't need to be a you don't need to just crash into the wall just just roll with it yeah hey can't yeah can't can't ask for any more than that you might just have a good time if you do <laughs> yes that's the new tagline officially yeah tm stamp relatable rolls just roll with it. And the, the, it could be either roll, too. Exactly. They're both applicable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well. We could trademark a new word. <laughs> just R-O-L-L-E. Just roll. The old English. The old English. But it just means a physical roll and a person. Role. Yes. It's less funny when I just sit here and explain it. Please cut me off. All right. Yeah. That wraps up this episode of Relatable Roles. Clara, please tell all of our friends and fans where they can find us online doing our thing. 
You can find us online doing our thing at RelatableRoles.com. Uh, you can find links to all of our social media there. Uh, we are at Relatable Roles on Twitter, because I refuse to to call it a different name. Uh, we are at Relatable Roles Podcast on Instagram. And we'll get on Blue Sky when I have a moment to not be miserable, because I have an invite code for myself. So we'll be on Blue Sky when we're on Blue Sky. Um, you can also find the the direct streaming links to all of our episodes on our website but you can listen to them wherever you choose to consume your podcast media but if you listen to podcast media somewhere where you can rate and review we'd appreciate it if you could give us a rating and review so that other people can find us with the magic of the algorithm and the series of tubes that is the internet Mm-hmm. gotta love those tubes gotta love those tubes if i ever won like a fuck you amount of money in the lottery mm-hmm. and built a mansion. I would find a way to build human sized pneumatic tubes just so I can pneumatic tube around my house. You've been watching a lot of Futurama, haven't you? I have. But like I've wanted it before that too. But mm-hmm. we did watch like 12 episodes of Futurama yesterday, which is probably influencing that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I remember once on that TV show on TLC, Monster House, where they would make like weird houses they made like an old school sci-fi one and put in a pneumatic like bank tube system for moving things around the house which in retrospect i'm like why would you do that unless you wanted to like launch a beer from your fridge to your couch or something like that but yeah plus like because like that's what i was thinking of because i would love a pneumatic tube system for snacks but based on the current limitations of pneumatic tube technology i would need someone else on the other end of the pneumatic tube to put the snack in so that i could twisted out of the bank check deposit tube once it got to me and the whole point of having a snack pneumatic tube system is that so i wouldn't have to physically involve myself or other people to get snacks yeah plus you'd be i guess kind of limited on snacks you can fit in a pneumatic tube i'm thinking mostly just pringles yeah or just like pouring popcorn into a one of the mm, okay yeah that would work that yeah. would work Side note, if anyone still listening to this pneumatic tube discourse wants to write some sort of scenario that involves pneumatic tubes as a plot point, I will play it, no question. I might, I, w- I would pay you to play in a pneumatic tube scenario. Um, so Now I want to play right Control one. again. Yeah, no, I, yep. Really, that, every itch of mine was scratched with Control. Like, House of Leaves vibes, uh, SCP Foundation vibes, pneumatic tubes, levitating, like, 10 out of 10, everything Claire wants was in a game. I even liked it, even though I don't like shooting games, and that's how, so that's how much I loved Control, is that it's still one of my all-time favorite games, even though I had to shoot a gun. (laughs) Okay, I think we're done here. Yeah, I guess. Unless you want to turn this into a control review episode. I, when do I not, Max? When do I not want to talk about control? When do I not want to talk about Jesse Faden? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, there's your Halloween costume idea for this year. Maybe next year. We already have one for this year. So. Okay. All right. Well, until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye, Elster.